Welcome to Get Up in the Cool, old-time music with Cameron DeWitt and friends. This week's friend is Jake Blunt. Back in mid-April, we did three Facebook Live episodes to promote our Northeast tour, so I put them all together with improved audio for anyone who missed the live broadcast. And because there are already hours of me interviewing Jake available on the show, he agreed to do the episode in the AMA or Ask Me Anything format. So, we're answering listener-submitted questions. Thank you, listeners, for submitting your questions. I'm sorry we didn't get around to all of them. If you're signed up on Get Up in the Cool's Patreon to get bonus content, make sure to check out a full video from my set with Jake at Brighton House in Boston, which will also be available in the secret bonus track podcast in audio form. It was a great show, and I'm happy to pass it along to my supporters who couldn't be there in person. Thanks for funding Get Up in the Cool. I want to thank Elderly Instruments in Lansing, Michigan for sharing Get Up in the Cool online with their customers and increasing the reach of the show. Next time you need an instrument upgrade or new music gear, visit their online store at elderly.com. Tui, Jake's duo with Libby Whitenauer, is about to release their debut album, Pretty Little Mister. You can pre-order it right now by following the link in the show notes. Go do it before you forget. It's very, very good. And while you're figuring that out, here's my special AMA episode with Jake Blunt. Enjoy.
You changed the ending I did. Again. I just remember <laughs> Hannah's special ending. We even discussed it. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. <sighs> okay. Uh, Jake Blunt, welcome back for the, like, fifth time to Get Up in the Cool. <laughs> Thank you for having me. A get Up in the Cool mini episode. AMA. So yes. you're, you're kind of more of, like, a, a guest host for this episode, I think. Okay. I, I think that's where you're at. That's... If you if you've been on four times and you're on for a fifth time, yeah, you count as. I guess I know my business. Yeah, <laughs> uh, this is like a Charlie and the Chocolate Factory kind of thing where you're going to take it over. <laughs> How many children will die yeah. before the episode? Uh, so uh, for people watching on Facebook Live, um, we have a show tomorrow night in D.C. at. Uh, the the unicorn habitat, I believe, is the official yeah. name of the. It's a house show. Don't search unicorn habitat. I don't think you'll find it. But uh, uh, in the in the doobly doo in the in the description, you'll find a link to the event, and uh, y'all should RSVP and come if you're in DC. So, but that's why we're playing. And uh, if you're north of DC, we will be there before long. Yes, and uh, more videos on that soon. So check the events, because we're coming uh, to where you are if you're in between here and Boston. Also, in sorry, In between Philly. here and Portland, Maine. Oh, yeah, then. we're going all the way up to Portland. <laughs> um, so uh, a couple weeks ago, I made a, an AMA post for Get Up in the Cool. Um, AMA uh, is Ask Me Anything, and the me being me or Jake, uh, whoever wants to uh, answer the question. So we got a lot of great questions. Uh, so we're, I, we haven't screened these. We're just going to jump into them and see what uh, what pops out. Uh, so first, here is uh, Bertie Armstrong mm -hmm. from uh, the UK. Um, got any tips for learning Boeing from a source recording? I can pick up Boeing's pretty quick from videos, but it takes a while without a visual aid. I'm not going to answer this one. <laughs> I profoundly don't know. Well, I mean, to be honest, I think it takes time. Like, there, we all want there to be, like, a silver bullet for, like, oh, you can listen for this, and you'll understand where the bone... For me, it was just, like, I had to learn enough tunes from people like, um, like uh, Bruce Molsky and uh, other folks who really spend a lot of time with those bowing patterns and taking different approaches to different tunes. Cause I mean, my, my general style and the music that I like is very much rooted in like, like I decide my bowings when I yeah. play a tune. Um, but if I'm trying to learn something historic, I think I just had to learn from Bruce and from Tatiana Hargraves, honestly, who's like the most loyal interpreter of bowings when she wants to be of anyone I know. Um, just spending time with them, hearing how they approached it. And, um, once I had enough bow patterns in my arm, uh, I would just start kind of hearing them. Um, and then I often ignore them, but so there, there's not necessarily like a, an aural cue, like, like in the way that it sounds when it's going up or down as much there as there can just... be, it depends on the quality of the recording, right? right. Like for, for, if you were working with stuff that was recorded in like the seventies, then you're going to have a lot more detail. Like you can hear Tommy Gerald's bow changes, just partially just because Tommy Jarrell, like, digs his bow changes. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if I'm I'm working with, like, wax cylinders or reel-to-reel -reel right. tape or whatever, and when you're listening to something like that, you can do your best to interpret how those bowings are happening. But really, for me, the key clues are more in just the phrasing, the way the notes fall rhythmically, and also the string crossings. Those right. are dead giveaways, because you can usually hear if a string crossing is a slur 
or broke it up. So, like, if you have the ba- if you have basic bowing technique down, if you already know how to do the basic things, then the tunes will more or less kind of bow themselves if you're like listening. Yeah, I mean, it's entirely possible to listen to it if you're not paying attention and learn it the wrong way. But I think if you approach uh, field recording with the intention of learning the bowing and you have the bowing patterns that old timers use, because there aren't a ton in your head, then they will start revealing themselves. That's that's a great question, because I think uh, Alex Kramer, or buddy Alex Kramer, asked a question... uh, Related to that, does a version of a tune encapsulate the rhythmic feel of a source player or only the notes played or neither? What do you think? I think that's a good question. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I really like... Uh, <laughs> good dodge. I, no, I, I really like uh, how heated um, these discussions get on social media. Uh, because everyone... Like clockwork, you know, every once in a while, like someone will say what's an easy tune to start fiddling? And then someone will say, uh, I think Kitchen Girl is the one that gets brought up. And then, like, someone... It's usually Rafe Stefanini, (laughs) you know, or someone else will just be like, that is one of the hardest tunes ever, you know, because, like, the notes, the melody notes are not that difficult. But, like, the bowing, I guess, is. You know, so, like, to him, it's like, that's what makes the tune the tune. So... Um, I remember I had, um, uh, I was subbing, uh, for Jane Rothfield for one of her banjo students while she was out of town. And, um, and he was trying to learn, um, the pig's foot tune, whatever. Shove that pig's foot for Push that pig's foot. <laughs> yeah. Et cetera. <laughs> the, yeah. He was trying to learn pig's foot and he was like trying to do this like really, really noty version of it. Um, and he wasn't necessarily getting it right away. And I was like, um, you know that the notes to this tune aren't what makes it special, right? Like this is a boring tune. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like, I mean, an argument could be made about whether or not that's a good tune at all, you know, but like, I, I like it, but I think what makes it good is the rhythmic feel of like, like that's what makes the tune. Yeah. Like there are some tunes that were like the melody notes specifically, um, are interesting and special, but a lot of them aren't. Yeah. And it's all about the bowing, um, or like how I would interpret the bowing on the banjo. What about for you learning from banjo recordings as opposed to fiddle recordings? I would say in banjo recordings, it's really, it's not the notes. Because ban- the best banjo recordings aren't... <laughs> you can't tell what the notes are. Yeah, yeah it's like, it's not about the notes, it's about the strokes. Yes. You know, it's, yeah, uh, I mean, just that tune. Um, I think that's a Wade Ward tune. You have to put it in the specific uh, tuning, um, which is for those people. Uh, this, this is from Hannah Trainum, by the way. Uh, she was on the show recently. Hey, Hannah. Hey, Hannah. I don't know if she's... <laughs> I don't know. Get she might her. see it. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. But she showed me this tune, and she played it on the show, and I've been playing it nonstop ever since, but it's um, uh, from uh, first string to fifth string. It's E, B, A, D, F sharp. So it's this, like, wacky tuning that I really can't play anything else in. Um, unless there's, I like sit down and learn it. Um, but it, and, and there's only four fretted notes. So it's like clearly not really about the melody. It's about like, um, you know, 
the tune wouldn't sound the same unless it had unless it had that like slow Galax yeah. look in that one. You know, I could play those notes a different way, like. it's bad yeah I yeah. gotta do it <laughs> it's not the notes it's the way it feels so no totally yeah I feel like banjo tunes are very atmospheric yeah one of my favorite like recent old time tracks is on Allison DeGroote and Tatiana Hargrave's album the Wabash Blues <laughs> one they do it's like it's so good I've like I've heard the original recording of that before and been like this is stressing me out like it's so frantic I just like can't handle it and I feel like they just dial into, like, keeping the essence of the tune, but not necessarily, like, it's out of control in the right way, you know? What did they sacrifice in, like, their interpretation of the source? Uh, truthfully, I mean, I don't want to speak for them as far as what choices they made. Um, to me, really, the speed is the big difference. I mean, when I listen to the original, I want to say it's Hobart Smith that that tune is from. Um, it's just... Or maybe it's Basketball Mar Lunsford. It's one of those dudes. I mix them up all the Old time. Old time police. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Old time police. You can take me in for them. I just, I don't, I don't listen to them. Um, but whichever one of them it is, I remember it being like super fast and kind of staccato. So when I listened to it, I like was just orally, like I didn't know how to <laughs> absorb everything I was hearing. And I think the way that they do it, like, retains the feel of, like, urgency. There's, like, this kind of stress behind the tune. Yeah. But also, like, explores it rather than, like, hitting me with it. I, I, like, I like the idea that, like, a tune, it's, it's sort of fundamental quality that you should maintain. Like, the idea of, like, the thing a tune has to offer is that it's stressful. Yes. <laughs> it feels stressful. I like that. You know? <laughs> People, like, try to put all time in a box or whatever. It's, oh, it's just supposed to be, like, melancholy or, like, relaxing or, like, or just, like, a throat burning. Thro yeah. yeah. But it's like, no, this is a tune that's about stress. <laughs> it's a blues. What yeah. Do you want? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's, like, that, that's a key. That would be my response to Alex is that I think a version of the tune depends. It depends on the tune what the important thing to keep is. If a tune has, like, a yeah. very specific melodic phrase, like, we've done that. We've been rehearsing today for our shows. And for me, at least, a lot of it has been you being like, I really hear this series of notes as being important to the tune. Right. Where I might have discarded them. Right. And focused on other spots. So... I think for me, yeah. it depends on the tune. It depends on the ear. And ultimately what gives us our different versions of the tune is that we don't agree on these things. Totally. So I don't know. That's a great answer. Yeah. Like what, what do people perceive to be the essence of the tune? Mm -hmm. Like what's the thing that catches? I often like, yeah, I definitely catch on to like melodic shapes like, cause that's the way I play and the way I think. So that's, I think the thing that like catches my interest or phrasing. Yeah. You know, so if someone takes out, if someone like, um, if someone uncrookeds a tune, you know, that's like, it's like, well, now it's just a boring tune. <laughs> like, and I'm like, now it's just a great tune. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the lazy one. I know. All right. Let's look for, uh, yeah, we've been working on that fly by night Cumberland gap. It's going great. <laughs> <laughs> Tomorrow night, unicorn habitat. Uh, all right, let's look at some more questions. Let's answer a couple more. 
Uh, Josh Kraft says, what is your stance on six-string banjo tunes like guitars? I don't really stand on them. I jump. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, Alex said, uh, "My uh, don't wait with bated breath as neither Cameron nor Jake love rags, as I recall those being the natural habitat and old-time music of the uh, bantar slash jitto. I've never I heard both of the bantar. <laughs> I've heard banjitar. Never heard bantar. bantar. <laughs> that sounds like a Star Wars creature. It very the sense. bantar. <laughs> it's weird that you would. Uh, uh, it's like Jabba cut. the Hutt. I have the bantar <laughs> in the basement. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that is one thing. I would much rather deal with a rancor than a bantar. If you get like cold, you can cut them open and then like stay inside and stay alive. Oh my god! So <laughs> <laughs> Thought they smelled. Oh my god! On the outside, um, good. It's good Star Wars pulls yes, here. Okay, yes. great. <laughs> we're we're getting in deep here. Oh, yeah. We just so, turned turned bantars into tauntauns. And for the record, I like rags. <laughs> Jake does not. I, I like, like music. I'm a yeah. musician. Right. Uh, <laughs> so salty. Uh, <laughs> Only about rags. I like rags. Um, and I've heard some players on the six string banjo who can make it, I think, sound good because they play it. Um, they don't just try to play guitar music on it. They play like banjoistic stuff, even though like uh, they, they account for the tone. Um, specifically, um, Dot Levine, uh, if you're watching this, uh, you are an amazing six-string banjo player. And uh, I'm partially saying that because it's true, and the, also because um, you will like burn this thread down, unless I like... <laughs> uh, well, now I want to hear your music, because I've never heard a six-string banjo player described in a positive manner before today. Yeah. So I, I want to I hear They're great. They're great. <laughs> They're really good. <laughs> You would, I think you would like it. Okay. Uh, all right. Um, let's do two more. Two more questions. Uh, why do people say upright bass isn't actually an old-time instrument? They want to fight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a more recent addition than anything else, I guess. But, like, why you get... Like, it's in there. Get over it. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's great. There. I love it's, bass. I think that's a good enough answer <laughs> yeah. for that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Clara says, how can I trick banjo players into playing rags with me? Um, her answer so far has been living in the same apartment as me and playing them whether I want them or not. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess for that, maybe, maybe a good way to answer that would be, um, to the banjo players out there who are nervous about playing rags. Mm. Um, it seems like three fingered in general is like a better way to approach playing ragtime music or strummy stuff or playing strummy stuff. So like, uh, yeah, experiment with, um, learning your chord shapes and doing that kind of thing. It can be really, really fun. Uh, uh, who are people to listen to? Joe Siemens. Is, is that Mr. Steam Machine? <laughs> no, no. Who's He's the not, Steam Machine? That's Aaron Tacky. Aaron Tacky. Sorry, I don't know all the names. Okay, Joe yeah. Siemens. He plays with Ben Hunter. Does he play Joe rags? Siemens and Ben Hunter? Yeah, they're yeah. like a jug band duo a lot of Great. the time. He's like a killer banjo player. So he's a really good one. Great. Um, also, um, I guess uh, Mikey, oh. Mikey Collins. Yeah, and Ali Kafka. Great. So listen to them, and then maybe you'll uh, be convinced. Yeah. Yeah. 
uh, it is hard to claw hammer uh, a, a lot of rags because of the syncopations and they don't land where you think they're going to. Yeah. Clawhammer uh, likes to go in certain directions, yeah. and rags go in other directions a lot of the time. But if you are a pitchfork clawhammer banjo player, if you're uh, if you want to learn how to play three finger clawhammer, uh, hit me up. Little personal plug, <laughs> aside from the already plug that we're doing for our show. All right, let's just do one a plug within a plug. More. Um, <laughs> let's, let's do this one. <laughs> This <laughs> is getting salty. Mitch DePew, uh, bless his heart, uh, wants to know what is the worst tune. Oh man! Oh man! I'm, I, I'm, I'm gonna trouble- let you get started while I get into into. Okay. I have trouble thinking of of specific tunes um, that I feel strongly about. I mean, obviously, I don't like rags. We've established this, but. Racist tunes. Sure. Okay, <laughs> yeah, but then it's tunes, not even like obvious. the tune's problem, you know? It's like the yeah. context of the tune. If I'm trying to think of it like, in term, like what has like a frustrating series of notes about it, to be honest, Five Miles from Town is my <gasps> least favorite. No! Because it's like, it, it's a, like we started Five Miles from Town and we just stay Five Miles from Town. Like, I want to go to town. Take <laughs> me to town. I want to go to the club. And it's like... Oh, 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 we're getting there. Oh, no, never mind. It was just one chord. Oh, 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 never mind. Just one. I will say, for five miles from town, (laughs) I've recently gone back and, like, learned how to fiddle and banjo it like Clyde does. Mm -hmm. And I think the essence of that tune, the the real interesting part is in the A part, um, because he does some really, there's only, like, you know, five notes in it. Mm -hmm. Um, And people add notes, and they play it in a major scale and it's not a major scale tune at all like they'll add c sharps into it i say play without c sharps and the interesting part of the tune is the rhythm and not Mm -hmm. the notes um because he does a really neat thing and i think this gets rounded off most festival versions but he goes so there's like a musical joke in there where he's um Doing, he's using the same phrase do do da do as a pickup and on the beat. So the first time is the pickup, uh, and then on the beat. I think if people play it that way, it'll totally revitalize okay. the tune. So I need to listen to the like the Clyde way and forget the festival version. I think so. Okay, and I think the I, answer. I believe that. I, I buy that. I'll give that a shot. I think the answer to most of these "What is the worst tune?" is like if you actually go back and like listen to the source recording. Usually, there's some sort of like gem in there that made the tune interesting. That has sort I, of you know lost. some tunes are just not interesting. All right, like what? <laughs> um... Okay, even aside from the the racism, turkey in the straw. Not a fan of turkey. In the I straw. just I just like what what it's the ice cream truck song. <laughs> There's nothing you could do to that to make that like an ex- like. <laughs> what? Having a hard time, yeah. (laughs) I'm not going to get stoked about it unless there's, like, rocket pops involved. (laughs) Let's be real. I need my weird SpongeBob ice cream bar. (laughs) Spider-Man just not into it. Gumballs. (laughs) Uh, Fair and true. I think, I agree. Turkey in the straw. 
<laughs> Worst old time tune. It's definitive. It's canon now. Uh, all right. So if you're just now joining us, DC show. Uh, it's a house show. The link is in the description. Um, it's at Graham's house. The unicorn habitat. Uh, Thanks, would, Graham. We would like to uh, pack the house, uh, whatever the respectful amount of people is for Graham's house. I've never been there. Just like slightly more than that, I think would be great. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good amount. Sorry, Graham. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, if, if you come there, um, I got uh, Get Up in the Cool Volume 3 CDs, uh, and you can buy one of these. There's not that many in the grand scheme of things yeah. available, and people are going to start. Uh, you know, pre-ordering them anytime now and then festival season. So get it now uh, if you're in DC and uh, you're Tui hasn't officially come out yet, but you're yes, like selling we're Tui to have, CDs. We're gonna have pre-release copies of my my duo Tui's new album, Pretty Little Mister. So this is your your chance to get them before June 28th. That is that is the best album title ever. Thank and you. like the words <laughs> that you sing are like. Okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, let's play a half, half Irish. Thanks for being on the show, Jake. Thanks for having me. See you again tomorrow, yeah, see you tomorrow morning.
Um, <laughs> we'll end at the same time tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Hope to see y'all live. Cool. Let's start with this uh, season's gone. Yeah. get up in the cool <laughs> thanks for having me back a day later yeah uh so we're um we're doing this to uh promote our our baltimore show at the four hour day luthery uh which is if you're watching this live it's tomorrow if you're watching this uh, tomorrow it's today <laughs> it's the 19th it's friday uh so we hope everyone will come out to that um the uh you should rsvp in the description um but uh yeah, so we're just going to play uh, one more tune, but before we do that, we're going to do another uh, Ask Me Anything episode, because a lot of people had some uh, great questions for us, uh, so I'm just going to pull those up real quick. Got them right here. All right, uh, Hawken Oyen says, Jake and Blunt, what, well, I almost pronounced your name how it's spelled, sorry. <laughs> what is an appropriate time and place to play in bug tuning and do dancers slash innocent bystanders to serve a PSA? Okay, so when I played in bug tuning and dances, they've been super excited about it. Great. Um, I collar, actually don't the know. The callers have not always been excited about it. 
Um, I actually don't know what bug tuning is. Okay, so bug tuning is this thing that Judy Hyman invented. Great. um, Where you tune the strings of your fiddle um, for a four-string fiddle from bottom to top. D, B flat, G, E. And then play tunes that are played in standard tuning with the same fingering. So all the notes come out different. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Which is... I, we're having a sneaky housemate moment. Everyone can Hi, see Clara. you. I just no, want you to. You. There's there's a camera right here. Yeah, but I can't see the camera, so the camera can't see me. Clara says that you can't see her. Um, she's here. Um, yeah. So basically, you you tune your fiddle super weird, so it's like mostly in sixths, I think. Um, and then play the tune with your hands in the same place as yeah. you normally would have them, and it comes out sounding super bizarre. Um, and especially if you have a rhythm section that's, like, prepared and ready to tackle that, it can be a lot of fun. And is the idea that the rhythm section will play just the normal chords? No. What do they play? Yeah, it's a complicated process. Okay. Um, <laughs> but they figure out what they need to do. Gotcha. Um, you do it together, and then you wind up... Basically, the idea is to just destroy the melody of the tune, <laughs> so you only have the groove and the, the structure left. Um which is what you need for a dance, right? No yes. one's listening to the melody. So, I, I mean, I've, for, for my part, whenever I have done that at a dance, everyone thought it was super cool. Phil Jameson once did not think it was very cool. He was the caller, and he <laughs> no. just said, said, I thought we killed this bug back in the 70s. <laughs> and I said, folks, get a load of this terrible music. <laughs> but we had a good time. Yeah. They had a good time. Very good. Thank you, Hawkin. Uh, Henry Barnes, embracing the true nature of the AMA, says, When were y'all when you had your favorite wine in your entire life? I, I don't drink you alcohol. You do not drink so alcohol. You should, you should take this one. Uh, when I was in school in Newburgh, Oregon, um, my first like job, like college job, was at a winery. And um, I could not at the time really afford to buy wine. Um, but I got to bring home, I was in the tasting room, so I got to like bring home all the wine that was like, you know, on its third day. So it's like, oh, one more evening of drinkability <laughs> for this and then it's out. Uh, so yeah, I, I was probably, I was probably like at home, <laughs> like <laughs> drinking, drinking leftover wine, but, um, uh, Willamette Valley, the Willamette Valley has really amazing Pinot Noir, especially the. Um, I mean, everyone makes it out there. So if the winery knows uh, what to do with the grapes, then it can be really, really good. So that's probably where I was in Newburgh, Oregon at my first apartment. All right. Uh, here's a more old time appropriate one. Uh, Caleb James Hall says, what is your process for learning tunes, especially if you're learning them at a jam? Does it differ a lot from when you learn a tune not in a jam? Inversely, how do you teach tunes? Um, well, if I'm learning it at a jam, I don't get to like slow it down at all. Um, so I would say when I'm learning it at a jam, my goal is to like do, do no harm. (laughs) <laughs> but I like embrace the reality that I'm not going to get the tune right. Um, so I do something that isn't bad. That's my goal. And play not bad. <laughs> yeah. And when I'm learning it by myself, I mean, I'll actually like slow down the recording and take it bit by bit and learn it that way. Um, which is my preferred way to do things. And that's also kind of how I teach things. I just do it phrase by phrase and 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, I I mean, it's a little bit... I mean, I guess you're maybe answering for banjo and fiddle at the, because you play both. Well, I don't learn tunes on banjo. Okay. I just play the tunes on the banjo. <laughs> so I don't think it applies. Yeah, I guess that's mostly the same for me for banjo is like... Uh, that right. is not true. No, well, I, <laughs> I mean, if you think you about the whole melody going on, often, but like you know, mostly these days, like when it's out of sight of festival season, the most that I play is for "Get Up in the Cool," mm-hmm. and I have to learn tunes really fast. And I've gotten really good at like separating the wheat from the chaff in terms of like what part of this do I need to latch onto, and what part of this would be better to uh, not play exactly, or what part of this am I not going to play. Exactly. Yes. Because, like, usually I have to learn the tunes right before we record. We just have, like, a little jam session and we do it. Mm-hmm. Um, every once in a while, uh, especially if it's a non-all-time guest, they'll give me recordings. And then I will um, I will slow it down. Sometimes I'll use, like, in Adobe, I'll use, like, the scrub function so I can just find the specific note. Yeah. Because <laughs> you know, sometimes it's not clear. Uh, yeah, but I guess... Uh, yeah, similarly, like I, I've been more and more of the uh, do no harm. Yeah. Method. Uh, I also should mention that Bluegrass Pride is doing this awesome instructional video series called The Root, and Clara and I uh, recorded one two days ago that is about picking up tunes during a jam. Oh, so perfect. that'll come out like today or tomorrow. Oh, good. And you will be able to hear a 10-minute explanation of my method and a demonstration thereof. Yeah, right on. I'm uh, sorry if you can hear someone leaf blowing outside. It's a nice day, which means everyone is ruining it with yard work sounds. Do <laughs> <laughs> we have the freaking peanut gallery back here? <laughs> All right. Um inversely how do you teach tunes I when possible I like to teach tunes by ear because I find that like sometimes it's good to like teach with tablature if someone's like really just doesn't understand and like I think tablature is like a sort of a necessary evil for um uh having less pressure on you as a student because, like, I know sometimes when people are trying to teach me things, I can be like, oh, I hope they're not getting impatient. And that gets in that kind of thought process gets in the way of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, teaching tunes, I try to do it by ear because if you do it by tab, then you kind of burn that tune, um, especially if you're just starting out. I remember the first couple tunes that I learned uh, through tab. I it took me years until I um, could relearn how to play them like kind of by ear and then change them because I was so married to like the specific like mechanics of what I remembered seeing. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, in general, uh, I I like to explain the position and get get them set up, and then I say, "All right, I'm going to play this in a loop." Yeah. And it'll just be like two beats or whatever. Yeah, just play it in a loop until they say stop. I'm not getting it. <laughs> I do that too. I never use paper. I I have a firm rule against any paper things for my stuff. But otherwise, I definitely I try to just. I don't even try to explain what note I'm playing. I'm like I will play it slowly, and you have to figure it out because you're going to have to figure it out right. when push comes to you. Like you're not going to have anyone explaining it for you. So if there's someone who's like 
totally beginner and like I don't understand what the strings are, <laughs> then we have another situation where I might have to break it down a little bit more. But I definitely try to just kind of play it and then you play it back and then we'll loop it until it feels solid and then we'll go to the next thing. Yeah. It gets tricky when you start adding the loops together. <laughs> it does. They don't always line up right. Yeah. <laughs> I've like I found the count in is a really important thing for me. Whenever I'm like starting a, to loop a certain part, I make sure I start it rhythmically in exactly the same place as it comes in the tune. Otherwise, yeah. it gets out of sorts. Otherwise, someone's going to hear it backwards. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Terry Lukachko, I think that's how her, uh, her name is pronounced. Um, I'd be interested to hear you, uh, you compare your Australian experiences. What did you learn and how did it change you? Are you different? Did you get changed? I mean, you go first. You go okay. first. Um, yeah, I mean, I was there for nine weeks, uh, because it was sort of part of the deal is that the, um, Lou Bradley, who, uh, thank you, Lou, if you're watching this, uh, who sort of, uh, convinced all of the other festivals to like hire me, um, her festival, the Nimbin Roots Festival, which is super fun in Nimbin. Um, not enough people go far North when they're doing their old time circuit, push it farther North. Brisbane's great too. Um, anyway, her festival was in September and then the rest of them were like end of October and November. So I was there for a really long time and I got to like live with people. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was, uh, it was really cool. Um, musically, I would say it was, it was really fun because the audiences I think were really kind of like hungry for culture uh, in, in general, my experience of Australians, uh, when they talk about their own, what I, I mean, I only mostly hung out with, uh, white Australians. Um, but like, when they talk about their culture, they have a sort of, um, uh, they're very self-deprecating and they're like, oh, our culture sucks <laughs> a lot of the time, especially around like the music, uh, and like Australiana music and stuff. Australia. Not, yeah, not everyone, <laughs> not everyone had that, uh, attitude, but a lot of people were like, oh, you must hate it here. Right? Like people kept on saying that to me, which made me feel really awkward. Um, but I think because of that, like, oh, we, um, are like hungry for like sort of culture that we can like latch onto and get interested in. Um, it was really, really fun to perform. In Australia, mm -hmm. uh, I held the attention uh, at Dorigo of uh, a room full of 150 people playing mostly solo banjo, mostly instrumental music. I don't know if I could like do that most places here. It mm -hmm. was like really cool, and it made me feel really good about myself. Um, other than that, uh, I mean, I have a lot to say about about Australia, but. Uh, we were just talking the other day about how the food is, like, good. Yes. <laughs> There's less trash. Like, the trash food in Australia is, like... like Decent food It's good food. Yeah. Like, Tim Tams are, like... That's, like, the trash food. And they, like, have, like, a quarter of the ingredients of, like, whatever the, you know, U.S. equivalent is. So, the whole bar is just a little higher, which is nice. Um, Want to talk about Australia? Sure. I mean, 
I was there for not as long as you, and I had also been, I had not been to Australia for length of time before, but I had been to New Zealand, which is, like, somewhat similar, although they are very different in a lot of ways. So, it wasn't, like, a totally new, like, how do I even approach this situation? Um, But I don't know, I think I wasn't there as long as you, and we kind of did, like, a show every night while we were there, so I don't feel like I had a lot of time to get out and, like, experience what it was like, um... And, I don't know, it was just bizarre in a lot of ways. It's very different from here, but also very not. Like, everywhere that I went was super segregated, which was kind of bizarre, because I was, you know, hoping to get more than one side of anywhere that I go. uh, And talk to people who are on different, you know, in different compartments of society to such an extent that the compartments exist. And while I was in Australia, I only met white people. All the people of color I met, of any color, were, like, in restaurants. Yeah. Um, you didn't get to meet any uh, indigenous folks in Australia? No. No, and I'd, like, bring it up. I'd be like, are we, like, what? what's the deal? And they'd be like, oh, yeah, they have a part of town where they live. Right. And I'd be like, ooh. Um, <laughs> did, did they, concerned. Did they not do a welcome to country at the Kelly County pick? I don't think so. Oh, I don't remember that. That was at all the other festivals that I went to, I think. They had a welcome to country like ceremony where like burning herbs and stuff. And it was always held by like, like local indigenous folks. I got there after it had started. So right. that so may have happened before it's usually I got the there. First thing. Yeah. Cause yeah. they had like a camp the week before yeah. I arrived and then Libby and I flew in, um, and they brought us up for the actual festival component. So it might've happened in the time before we got there Yeah, or it might not have, I don't know, but yeah. That was, it was, it was odd for me, um, to go to a place that, you know, has so much of a, an awareness of that history as opposed to the United States where like, depending yeah. on where you go in the U S people like don't grasp that native American people still exist. Right. Um, versus in Australia, everyone seems to talk about it a lot, but I never saw anyone, uh, which was a really bizarre experience to yeah. have and made me ask a lot of questions. Yeah. I mean, I guess, honestly, I, I probably don't see that many Native Americans either. Or at least people, like, people Well, I think who, that's also a function of, like, where you live, right? Right. So in some ways, it's the same here. Yeah. But yeah. it was just interesting, even aside from just indigenous folks, because there yeah. are other people of color down of there. I yeah. just, like, would see them working in restaurants and nowhere else and got kind of the same answer of like, Oh yeah, there's a neighborhood where they all live when I would ask about it. Um, and other Americans that I met, you know, I have American friends who moved down there many years ago and they'd all remark on the same thing that they didn't see as much social mixing between different groups. So that was weird. But again, like depending on what part of the U S you go, like if you went through certain parts of the United States, it would be exactly the same. So I don't know what it would be like on the other side of the country because Australia is huge. Right. Um, So that was just my very limited experience, but I want to go and actually hang out sometime. (laughs) I got to have a chat with like the Ed Nimbin Roots, the guy who did the Welcome to Country for a while. I got to like hang out with him for a little bit before he started. And uh, yeah, it was pretty cool. He he said the N word a lot. (laughs) Like apparently that's really common. Uh, among uh, Aboriginal folks, hmm. I don't like that. They should stop that. Yeah, 
<laughs> yeah, I think it's a maybe a yeah attempt to relate or like like relating to like African American culture, but still, obviously, that's yeah. If you're not black, you don't get to say it. I'm sorry. But they call it, yeah yeah <laughs> yeah. I'm not that's really the long way. and short yeah. of it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, let me um. Let's do one more question and then let's uh, let's play this going across the sea. Okay. Okay. Um, oh, Brandy. Hi, Hi Brandy. Brandy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Our fave. Yeah. Um, okay. Both of these are good. Let's just do both of them. What ha- what has been your favorite festival camp festival slash camp and why? Hmm. I think my favorite. Can't, I'm, I'm interpreting this as like festival or camp, like your favorite yeah. event, yeah. Um, not your favorite festival and your favorite sure. camp. My favorite event is Old Time Week at Augusta, yeah. uh, the Augusta Heritage Center. I've been going ever since I started playing seriously, like every summer I've been there in some capacity, and it's just kind of my musical home place. And I've been to many, many camps, pretty, most I think almost all of the East Coast ones, Um and I've just never been anywhere like that where it's actually a week long. So there are weekend ones that I really like, but I yeah. don't like them as much just because I want more because I'm greedy. Um, but if I had a schedule restriction, I would probably like the weekends one weekend ones more. Um, for, I think, just Augusta, the instructors actually hang out with you. You know, I went to a lot of camps where you'd, like, go be in their class and they'd teach you a tune and then they wouldn't talk to you for the rest of the time yeah, you were there. in the green room or whatever yeah they'd like just yeah. disappear and then yeah. have jams with each other in front of you but it yeah. was like clear you weren't supposed to yeah. be a part of it um and at augusta i think you get to see that like really awesome spontaneous music making from those talented musicians but also they'll like just sit down in your jam yeah. it's not like you it's know cool. You don't have to get this, like, exalted invitation from above. It's just like, we're going to hang out because we're friends. Wh- why Why is that? Is it a, an explicit expectation laid out by the staff? Uh, I think so. I think um, I have been there as a staff musician. I have not been there as full faculty yet. Um, so I don't have Write access to... <laughs> <laughs> Write in. Tell them to hire me. Hire me, everybody. Um... <laughs> no, um... I, I've been there for that. I haven't seen like the faculty contracts, so I don't know yeah. whether this is an expectation that's they right. have agreed to in writing. Um, but I have definitely it is an understanding that that's going to happen, and you yeah. should do that. And obviously, you know, people are different. Certain ones jump into it more than others, and it's super exhausting to teach at a camp for a whole week. So. I'm like I'm always impressed with the fortitude that the instructors show to like yeah. teach. For three or five hours or whatever they've committed to and then come out and like (laughs) jam more um but they put in the time i really love that aspect i love elkins it's a cool town um yeah that's that's my my favorite thing uh all right also from brandy and then we'll play another tune if you could make a music super duo in any other style of music than what you perform together now what would it be oh man you first uh, so I'm taking this to mean you and me, <laughs> the two of us, Wait, you can what? make a super do, du- um, make a music super duo and 
Oh, I thought it meant like if you could pick any musician from another genre of music and become a super duo with oh, them. Oh, interesting. I mean, I guess either one. Uh, yeah, it's hard. To, it's hard to imagine playing uh, uh, anything else with you. Yeah, uh, I don't know. We don't overlap that much except for this. So <laughs> maybe we should go for the other. The other yeah, interpretation. Okay, okay. Yeah, go for it. Um. Sorry, I was checking my my name here because the I I think I would pick Manuel Gagno, the the guy from Zeal and Ardor. Um, oh yeah. So there's this band called Zeal and Ardor, which I had to look up his name because he's like the front man, but his name isn't on the project. Um, and he was on 4chan of all places, the only good thing to ever come out of 4chan. Um, and was like did, did like a challenge, kind of an AMA thing, but like challenged me to combine any two genres of music and someone was like uh black metal and african-american music they did not say african-american but i'm not going to say what they said oh Um, interesting (laughs) and so he went and went back to like spirituals and chain gang music and fused it with metal in this way that's like that could be done really horribly yes and it's so good it's so good like look up devil is fine by zeal and ardor i just like i'm like obsessed i'm like this is just this is where i would want to be if it was a super band period i would pick hatari iceland's eurovision band oh very um (laughs) i haven't i haven't heard but yeah duo would be would be manuel from zeal and ardor shoot okay who would i start a super duo with in any other style of music uh, than what I perform now. Uh, interesting. Um, see, this is the part that I'll always get cut out of the actual interview, but it can't because it's live. Where yeah. I have to, like, spin my wheels. <laughs> um, yeah, it's hard to think. Uh, you know, because it's, like, mostly what I listen to when I'm Mostly what I listen to when I'm not uh, listening to old-time music is uh, hip-hop, like Kendrick Lamar and Aesop Rock and Janelle Monae um, and uh, Chance the Rapper <laughs> and stuff. But I really don't know what I would do for those people. <laughs> like, yeah, it wouldn't be a super duo. It would be like a lopsided, asymmetrical, like... <laughs> You know who I would like? I uh, absolutely love uh, John Darniel of the Mountain Goats. And uh, I've, like, learned how to play his songs before. And I think I could actually add something to the Mountain Goats. I mean, they're a perfect trio as it is. But I think I could, like, actually hang. Yeah, you wouldn't be in the way. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Probably, they're probably, like, my favorite songs. Like, they're, he's, like, an amazing songwriter, an amazing performer. So, yeah. There we go. I would be become a mountain goat. All right. Uh, so if you're just now joining us, uh, we have a show uh, tomorrow night. Um, if you're watching this live, Friday the 19th at the Four Hour Day Luthery in Baltimore. Um, and then if you're watching this live and you're in D.C., tonight we're playing at uh, the Unicorn Habitat. Uh, Which is, like, medium a real thing. Medium so a real thing. Check, check our, our social and websites. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but the uh, the event for the Baltimore one is in the description of this video. So hope to see you there. And if you are between D.C. and Portland, Maine, odds are we are coming through your town in the next week. So 
keep your eyes and ears peeled. I hate that expression. I don't know why. I yeah, said gross. That. It's a nasty one. I'm almost there. This weekend, I was talking to Allison DeGroot, and I asked if I could pick her brain about something, and I was like, you know, I know people say that, but I'm sorry. That's nasty. Okay. Across the sea from Murph Gribble, John Luskin, Albert York. How do we start this? We never decided. Do I just count it in? Yeah. Is that what's happening? Okay. One, two, three, four.
welcome to Get Up in the Cool, Jake Blunt, again, <laughs> for your seventh time. <laughs> uh, we are doing another, uh, a final Get Up in the Cool uh, AMA, Ask Me Anything, uh, on Facebook Live, um, to promote the following two shows. Tonight, if you're watching this live, um, on Saturday, the 20th, um, we're playing at Modern Art in Lancaster, so anyone in Lancaster or close enough to Lancaster that you're willing to come out and make a whole evening out of it, um, we're playing at Modern Art. Doors at 7.30. Uh, show starts at 8. We would love to see you there. And then uh, tomorrow um, <clears throat> on uh, 4.21 on Sunday, Easter, uh, we are playing at Jalopy in the evening with Shortcut String Band. Um in Brooklyn, and we're also teaching workshops during the day, uh, so there's links for all of that stuff in the descriptions. And then uh, later on, throughout all of next week, we're playing uh, New Haven, and we're playing um, Portland, Maine, and Providence, Rhode Island, and Boston. So um, check our pages for all of those events. And RSVP, let us know that you're coming and bring as many friends as possible. Uh, but in the meantime, <coughs> we're going to answer some more questions. All right. <clears throat> Excuse me. I slept uh, with an open window in D.C. springtime all <laughs> night and uh, still working a lot of stuff out. Okay. Thomas Worm asked some great questions. Thanks, Thomas. Um, here's his first. We all spend a lot of effort trying to understand and imitate the stylistic quirks and regionalisms of different fiddlers. Not all of us, but many, many of us. Um... Would Will Adams, J.D. Harris, Jim Baxter, or Low Stokes, to name but a few, be able to place in the contest at Clifftop today? Would they place at smaller local conventions in their home region? Do fiddle contests, by their nature, force the standardization of intonation and bowings? Um, I'd love to know your answer to that. Well, I think it depends... I don't think it's possible to say for certain... Oh, first of all, hi, Thom. Good to hear from you. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, I forgot that's how it's pronounced. Yeah. name is pronounced. I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if you pronounce it Thomas, if it's the whole <laughs> right. thing, or if it becomes Thomas. <laughs> Sorry. So, we're doing our best, Thom. Um, no, I think it's impossible to say for sure, because I don't know what contests would look like now, if not for everyone going back and imitating those old folks' recordings. Good so. Point. I don't really have a clear picture of what what our music would sound like if they were still around. I think my gut reaction is to say yes if they were as highly regarded as they are right now just because I mean contests are mostly determined by <coughs> recognizable names. I'm sorry, like the same people win the big contests every single year and it's not because right. there aren't folks who are just as good playing. It's just because people expect to see those folks win including the judges right so i would say probably because they have the name recognition um and i think that counts more than your actual playing to a certain extent um but i also think from a playing perspective if the generation was still around they would probably still be setting the standard so Probably. And, and when it comes to the local conventions, absolutely, because you don't win at a local convention unless you're from the area. Yeah. That's just not <laughs> a sure. thing that happens. I've competed at Mount Airy. <laughs> I know that's what there that's you go. Like. <laughs> yeah. Not that I would have won. <laughs> yes. But, you know. Uh, 
you're you're like an advocate for uh or at least conversationally an advocate for blind judging i mean i wouldn't consider myself an advocate for contests generally just because i don't like competition in anything i don't think it's helpful but um yeah if you're gonna do a contest and you're going to say that the contest (laughs) is based on the merits of one's playing, I do think it should be blind judging. And I think uh, that only helps to an extent, right? Like, you, right. you blindfold me and turn me around, I'm still going to recognize Bruce Molsky versus Emily Shad versus sure. Rafe Stefanini. <laughs> um, but there's at least some semblance of you don't know who's there. If some new person that you're not aware of shows up and plays super well, you might think, oh, that sounds a lot like Bruce. That's probably Bruce, even though right. it might be someone who's not. Uh, so I think there's there's more of an opportunity for upsets that way, and that would be appealing to me. But again, I don't think I'm super gung ho about the whole concept. Right. I think I heard that Weezer um, or the American uh, Fiddle Tune Contest, or I don't know what it's called. It's like a big sentence long name. Yeah. The one that happens at, in Weezer, Idaho. I think that one's blind. Okay. Yeah. I, be, I believe that. Yeah, I'd be interested in that. Uh, to, to learn more about that and see, like, look at who's won. Yeah. And to see if it's the same people every year. Well, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think that's also, aren't that Weezer is the contest there is mostly like Texas style contest fiddling, so. right? Yeah. That might be a different thing. I don't know. I don't know anything about it, but be a good thing to look at. All right, Thom, thanks. Uh, so you had another one about contests, but I feel like we kind of covered that. Uh, what's your go-to dish for an old-time party potluck? Um, I haven't been to a potluck in a long time. I really like making uh, homemade salsa. I make um, tomatillo salsa all the time. I feel like you can always have more chips and salsa because that's the thing that you can keep eating throughout the night and turn into tunes, <laughs> tune fuel. Um, Good call. I like to bring that. Uh... All right. Drew Nager. Hi, Drew. Hey, Drew. See you in June. Yeah, see you soon. (laughs) Have you ever zoned out so much in a great jam that you drooled on your instrument? I have not. (laughs) I have, unfortunately, many times. And it always is the same thing where it happens. And then I, like, like look up and I look around to see. If anyone knows, usually I don't think anyone does because they're focused on whatever they're focusing on. Uh, that is an embarrassing thing to say, but it does happen. Chalk it up to my passion for playing music and caring about music more than my basic bodily functions, I guess. Uh, <laughs> okay, um, Jason Cade. Hi, Jason. Hey. Uh, asked uh, a question about structural functions functionalism and then in parentheses Durkheim et al. And I feel totally unequipped uh, to answer that. And if Jason wants to talk about that, come on the show again and you can talk all about Clifftop's uh, structural functionalism <laughs> and uh, how the uh, contests uh, play into that or not. Uh, if racist monuments belong in museums, where do racist old time songs belong? Archives. Archives. Um, yeah, uh, do you, do you know of anyone who uses archives, like, 
as, as a resource for like, I guess, what is the point of being able to go back and reference them? Um, Knowing that they were there. I don't know that there's a specific use for it, but I don't agree with erasing things. Right, just for the sake of having it available so we could say, no, this happened. Yeah. This happened before. Let's, yeah. Um, Are there, uh, this isn't, this is just a question for me. Are there any tunes um, that are like really popular right now? Other than Turkey and the Straw, we've already talked about that. Yes. (laughs) Are there any tunes uh, that... Uh, people love to play that you're like, can we please put this in the archive? Whistling Rufus is definitely one of those. I have personal Um, experience with that tune. What, what is your experience? I talked about it on the show a fair amount, but, um, uh, in Philadelphia at the green line cafe in one of the first jams I was ever in, we were playing Whistling Rufus. I had never played it before. Um, and a 70-ish year old uh, black man came up and said, why are you, pl-? after we were done, why are you, he said, why are you playing that over and over again? Are you trying to send me a message? And, uh, you know, he said, um, what is that tune? And one of the, whoever called it was like, that's Wh- Whistling Rufus. And he said, that's what I thought. And then he said, why are you playing it over and over again? Absolutely horrifying. And then he was like, that's some old racist shit. Um... And, you know, someone in the jam was like, no, it's not. <laughs> and, Helpful. And I Thanks. was like, I don't know what to do. What's going on? I'm totally out of my depth. I did, had no idea of, like, uh, Tin Pan Alley stuff or um, or minstrelism or anything uh, at that point. And uh, then he left, and then we, like, talked about it for, like, half an hour. John Salmon was like, you know, he really has a point. Maybe we should be, you know... Um, uh, not playing these tunes. Uh, maybe we should be rethinking like what we do at these jams. Um, yeah. So like for, for anyone who, (laughs) who says that like black people today, like don't care, like, or won't be triggered by it because it's all in the past. Uh, I know from personal experience, not true. Uh, the music, um, the specific melodies are still remembered by people today. Um, as being uh, hate speech yeah, in melodic form. Without words. We were not singing the words. And he was still like, these people are, are like attacking me. Yep. So, uh, the testament soundtrack to, the- to domestic terrorism. Yeah. So, don't, don't do that. It's a testament to the like power of music, I think. If totally. You, if you think the music is powerful, you have to believe that it's uh, <laughs> powerful enough to hurt. Mm-hmm. Whistling Rufus, that's your your pick for putting it in the bin in the archive. Yeah, I mean, I have confused feelings about Boatman also. Oh my god, so do I. Um, I don't know. There's a lot of them out there. Um, my basic inclination is if it's a minstrel tune, don't play it in public. Um, for that reason. Yeah. Doesn't like Marcus Martin have like a really awesome Boatman? Yeah, the D-Dad one? Yeah. Yeah. That's a different tune, I think. It just has right. the same name. Right. But, like, if it has words, it's not the... It's not a good one. Right. Even if you're... I get. I guess even if you're changing the, like, dialect... I mean, absolutely, there's a given no one's singing dialect. Yes. But, like, <laughs> I think even divorced from that, you're still painting this picture of this, like, uh, uh, kind of... 
like mischievous scamp who's coming into coming. Well, into the town. imagery is intact. Yeah. So exactly. anyone who knows how to identify those images is yeah, going to know what you're saying. A Jim Crow like type of. Yeah. I mean, it's like one of those, it's like run N word run. Like that tune when people just change it to run boy run. I'm like, boy is just as bad. <laughs> well, even setting aside that, you know, the specific verbiage that people use, I'm like, you could replace that with any word and it would still be about someone getting lynched in a field for stealing. Yeah. Like, you, everyone is still going to know what you're singing about. So, I feel like changing the words, changing the names works up to a certain point. But if there's, like, a song with a story and the images are clear, even if you change the word and there's no obvious racial content, anyone who listens who knows how to identify those images, which is going to be most black people, yeah. will immediately assume that that's what you're trying to go for. Here's one that I kind of think... I mean, I've kind of... Com- it's not that complicated of feelings about it. Uh, Year of Jubilo. Oh, that's bad. Don't do that. Yeah, uh, Don't do not, under any circumstances. Don't. So... <laughs> so, uh... That's an interesting one, because... Um, for those of you who are unfamiliar, the original lyrics... Like, it's written by a white northerner, and it's propaganda for the Union... But it's written from the perspective of um, of slaves, um, and uh, I, I think something like they're they're rejoicing at the uh, the Union coming to free them, basically. And it's written in dialect, and uh, I could see how hypothetically, like maybe at the time, it could be seen as. <laughs> like an empowering song or whatever. But, uh, like, I think now it's like completely inappropriate. Um, I don't know how many people actually know to connect the lyrics to the melody, but once again, like, I don't know. I mean, when I was at the Baltimore old time festival a few weeks ago, someone started playing it and another older white guy was like, no, you cannot play that. That's great. Yeah. And I was like, thank you. (laughs) It's good to know someone's actually doing that. Yeah. That's just one of those ones where even, like, people make that argument about Stephen Foster, that, like, exactly. at the time, he was... Was that a Stephen Foster song? No, I actually don't know who wrote it's that someone song. else. It's okay. someone else, yeah. Um, where they're like, oh, he was humanizing the slaves and portraying them as people, and I'm like, yeah, but he was portraying them as people who, like, loved their masters and were fine with how things were. He was, like, so, depicting them like, like loyal dogs, Exactly, basically. exactly. Um... Which may have been, like, adorable at the time, because he was writing for racist audiences. But, like, from my perspective, we know he was an abolitionist in his personal life, but he was still willing to shill for slavers when the opportunity presented itself. Which, like, sure, he was desperately poor and probably needed all the money he could make. people love to mention. Well, but I think it it matters, right? Like, you'll do what you have to do to eat when you're in that situation, but that doesn't mean we have to keep playing the songs now. Oh, Susanna is terrible. Yeah, don't play that one. Don't, don't. And, like, this is the, you know, it's another one as well. Like, you leave out that verse, I'm still gonna know what the song is, and I'm still going to remember that verse when you do it. So, you know, it's like someone played Turkey in the Straw at a camp I was teaching at the other week. And I was like, I don't want to, like, start a thing, so I'm just going to walk inside, right? Like, it was a nice day. I was outside enjoying myself, and I was just like, I'm like, I'm not willing to do this right now. I'm just going to go inside. Yeah. And whether or not 
you mean anything by it and whether or not you know that I know. Like, odds are, if you play a tune like that, there are a lot of black people who are going to recognize what it is. We're just going to assume you're not going to hear us out. And that's why you think no one knows. It's because we don't bother to talk to you about it. Right. And, you know, just like, I I might not, you know, it's not going to, like, ruin my day. Like, you don't make it as a black person. If you're you very are, resilient well, by necessity. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so like, it's, you know, you have to, you know, be, have a system for dealing with that. It's not so much like you're traumatizing us or whatever. It's just like, we, like you send a message about what you think and what you believe, whether or not you know you're doing it. Yeah. My friend Greg Adams has a story that he'll tell about, you know, he plays a lot of historic banjo music and periodically after his performances, people will come up to him and just start saying racist stuff because they assume based on what he just performed that he's okay with it. Now, if you know, Greg, he's absolutely not. Yeah. But I think that like, that demonstrates the, the point, right? That you're unintentionally sending all these messages to the people who you're hearing. And if that's a black person, they're going to hear a racist message. If they're a racist white person, they're going to hear a message of solidarity and think you're on their side. Yeah. So again, it's not even a matter of like what you want to put forward when you play that. It's just what other people read into what you do. My friend, Sarah Gebermichael once was talking to me about performing in a public space and how you, you put like the song leaves your mouth and it just goes into the room and you can't control what is done with it after that point in time. Like you can't, you surrender that piece of material. Um, and that applies to our tunes as well. My, uh, my little sister is black and my general rule, like when I'm doing this music (laughs) is if I would have to like, like white splain a tune to to tell my sister like why it's okay for me to play it. It's not okay for me to play it. Exactly. As like a uh, an eighteen year old like black woman um, who doesn't care about the music and isn't invested in trying to like sit and shouldn't be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like that's sort of my like. How would I explain this mm-hmm. to like? Yeah. The most important black person in my life. You know. It's like, well, I can't, and I don't want to. I want to talk about other stuff with her. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Well, uh, maybe there's a lighthearted <laughs> question that we can end <laughs> with. Uh, thanks for uh, your time talking about that. Yeah, of course. As always. <laughs> Um, okay. Uh, Charlie Shaw says, what the hell is behind the radiator that is driving the cat crazy? Great. Ask me anything. (laughs) Really embracing the the nature. (laughs) I can't help you, Charlie. Uh, Charlie, I hope to see you tomorrow. (laughs) Yeah. Come to our show, Charlie. Now we know you know about it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Oh, this is a great one. Josh Larios um, hey. uh, says, favorite jam buster. Oh. I don't know. I mean, I don't I don't have experience. With, I just assume things are jam busters past a certain point. I guess yeah. the, my favorite one that I'm, like, playing right now. I feel like that question implies that you're, like, going to jams and busting them on purpose. And, like, what's your favorite thing to do to ruin everyone's <laughs> What's your favorite time? all-time troll? So, I don't do that, usually. Um, 
I think my favorite tune that I am playing that I could not play in a jam right now is Mancos Needs Polly Put the Kettle On. That's a good tune. Yeah, so it is inherently a jam buster. Yeah, like you mean could not. I've made yeah. it work in groups of like three very experienced professional musicians. Yeah. But I don't think I could do it. Like, a lot of the reason that it works in those situations is because they're very good at disguising it when they don't know what's happening. Yeah. Not because it is understandable. When when I'm in a jam and I feel like I've, like, earned enough, like, credit to, like... When I've played enough accessible tunes um, that I feel like people won't hate me for pulling out a jam buster, I will pull out Fly By Night String Band's Cumberland Gap. Yeah, if which I feel is like the worst the for worst. anyone who wants to know. I, We're playing it at our shows. Come yeah. here, the worst. <laughs> uh... We're not going to bust our own jam. We are very good at that tune now. Yeah, we figured it out. <laughs> um, but I fiddled it recently at uh, the P's and Q's Market Jam in Portland, Oregon, and I was able to pull it off, I think, only because of the excellent old-time backup guitar playing of Julie Brooks, who is uh, one of the most intuitive guitarists that I've ever played with. Um, recent episode of Get Up in the Cool. No! She May 1st, her episode is coming Upcoming out. Episode. Upcoming I recorded her recently. It's coming up very soon, so tune in for that. Uh, we don't play that tune, but uh, you get to hear a lot of her just immaculate uh, old-time backup. All right, let's, uh, let's play as Johnny Court the Widow, our yeah. uh, throwback. <laughs> our hit single. <laughs> so if you're just now joining us, um, tonight... In Lancaster at Modern Art, doors at 7.30, music at 8. Jake and I are playing two sets. We would love to see you there. Sliding scale donation, 10 to $20. Got lots of CDs, including Tui, Pretty Little Mister, uh, Jake's album with Libby Whitenauer. Um, you can get that before it's officially available tonight. Um... And uh, also Get Up in the Cool Volume 3, which is not officially re- released yet. But you can get that tonight as well. Um, and then uh, tomorrow in Brooklyn. I'm sure we'll have enough CDs left to sell <laughs> there as well. So at the Jalopy Theater. So if you don't have Easter obligations and you're not out of town for uh, Seder or whatever, um, then uh, come on over. And we got workshops during the day. Jake is teaching a workshop on Black Fiddlers. Um, I don't think there's anyone currently, like, signed up for it. So if you want this workshop to happen and you want to, like, learn what Jake has to offer, which is not just lecturing, you're also going to teach a tune. Yes. Um, you should sign up now. Get your ticket. Thanks for being on the show, Jake. Thanks for having me. Which one of us does this? Okay. Thank you. 
Follow the link in the show notes to pre-order Tui's debut album, Pretty Little Mister. And like and follow them on Facebook at Tui Duo Music for announcements and their tour schedule. If you want to hang out with me twice a week, I have another podcast called Think Outside the Box Set. You can find that wherever you get your podcasts or boxset.website. That's all for now, friends. Thanks for listening. Come back same time next week to get up in the cool.